Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Good Tuesday morning. A new crisis unfolding in Ukraine as we speak. A critical dam destroyed. Mass evacuations underway. It is June the 6th. This is today. Breaking overnight, a surge of water now being unleashed from that badly damaged dam. Hundreds of thousands of people in the path. A nuclear power plant in jeopardy. Ukraine blaming Russia for the destruction. We're live with the very latest. Ready to run. Two more Republicans set to enter the 2024 presidential race and take on Donald Trump, while the frontrunner faces mounting legal troubles over his handling of classified documents. Trump's lawyers meeting with investigators, a grand jury about to convene. We will break it all down. Searching for answers, the NTSB combing through the wreckage of that small plane that set off a panic in Washington, D.C., forcing fighter jets to scramble into action. The airplane, pilot qualifications, maintenance records, basically everything is on the table. This morning, inside the investigation into what went wrong and the clues now emerging. Breaking overnight, on the stand, Prince Harry becomes the first royal family member to testify in court in more than 100 years. A live report from London just ahead. Those stories plus, eyes on the future. Introducing Apple Vision Pro. A closer look at Apple's biggest reveal in nearly a decade, a virtual reality headset what it promises to do, and the debate now raging over its hefty price tag. Today, Tuesday, June 6th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Oda Cutby, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Welcome in. It's a Tuesday morning. Savannah will join us from Paris tomorrow because, of course, we've got the countdown to the Olympics. First, though, on this Tuesday, we are going to start with that breaking news out of Ukraine. It's military accusing Russia of blowing up a major dam and hydroelectric power station. These satellite images that you're looking at right now appear to show the destruction. Yeah, thousands of people living downriver. They've all been ordered to evacuate. And, of course, the implications are massive including a potential threat to a nearby nuclear plant. NBC's Molly Hunter is right there on the ground for us in Ukraine, has got the very latest. Molly, what kind of late-breaking details do you have? Hoda, Craig, good morning to both of you. Now, tens of thousands of people, we are told, are in that direct dangerous flood zone. Now, Ukrainian officials say they have managed to evacuate just about a thousand people, but the water in those low-lying villages is rising six inches per hour. This morning, a major disaster unfolding in southern Ukraine. Drone video showing the Dnipro River gushing through a critical dam and hydroelectric power plant. This video shot from the banks showing huge chunks of the Kohovka Dam destroyed. Ukraine blames Russia for blowing up the strategic dam overnight, which is under Russian control in the Kherson region. President Zelensky calling it a terrorist attack. 
while Russian state media accuses Ukraine of attacking the dam without providing any evidence. The reservoir, roughly the same size as Utah's Great Salt Lake, is in effect the front line. Ukrainian civilians on the West Bank and Russian troops on the east. It's one of six dams on the Dnipro River and supplies vital drinking water, power and cooling for the nearby Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. The IAEA confirms the power plant has adequate supplies of water in the cooling pools, at least for now. They have very good level of water, which will help uh, for at minimum one month uh, to operate a cooling system. Energy analyst Alexander Harchenko estimates by tonight some 300,000 civilians will be without clean drinking water and says some 500,000 will be affected by loss of power and flooding. Your three biggest fears in the next 24 hours, what are they? Evacuation speeds, fresh water uh, supply, and uh, uh, I, I could say power supply for people around the Dnipro. Ukraine's hydropower company said an explosion inside the engine room of the plant caused the destruction. This station cannot be restored. The strategic fears surrounding this dam date back months. Back in May, the New York Times reporting the water levels reached 30-year highs. Back in October, President Zelensky warning that Russia had mined the dam. And this morning, he says 80 settlements, that's tens of thousands of people, are in the rapid flood zone. Now, police report they are coming under heavy Russian shelling as they attempt to evacuate Ukrainian civilians. But Hoda, these are Ukrainian civilians who survived months of brutal Russian occupation in Kherson, now to be faced with catastrophic flooding. Hoda? It is unimaginable. All right, Molly Hunter Forrest there in Ukraine. Thank you. Well, we turn now to the 2024 presidential race, and even more Republicans are now jumping in. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie set to launch his bid today, followed by former Vice President Mike Pence tomorrow. NBC national correspondent Gabe Gutierrez joins us with more on this. Gabe, good morning. Craig, good morning. The Republican Party for the foreseeable future is starting to take shape. But will the competition help or hurt former President Trump? He's now under fire from all sides. This morning, more candidates lining up to challenge former President Donald Trump for the 2024 Republican nomination. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie expected to kick off his run in New Hampshire today. A one-time Trump ally turned critic. He's blasted other Republicans for not taking on the former president directly. They kind of cozy up to him. They hope that he implodes and that if they're nice to him, that they'll inherit his voters. Former Vice President Mike Pence filing paperwork to make his White House run official ahead of a formal announcement tomorrow in Iowa. Over the weekend, Pence took a veiled shot at his former boss. I believe we have to resist the politics of personality and the siren song of populism unmoored to timeless conservative principles. Ten major candidates are now expected to be in the race by week's end. Former President Trump remains the clear frontrunner. But some primary voters in New Hampshire we spoke with are looking elsewhere. 2016, Trump was making his issues about the American people. 2024, I think Trump is making it about him. And so you're ready to move on. I'm done. A distant second in the polls, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Well, I don't think the polling matters right now. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott on The View defending DeSantis over the governor's ongoing feud with Disney. Our young kids and what they're being indoctrinated with. I thought he started off on the, wrong, on the right foot on that issue. It is uh, 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 no, 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 not he. I'm sorry, sir. Do not boo. 
New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, a frequent Trump critic who had long teased a White House bid, now saying he won't run. Writing in the Washington Post, he believes candidates with no path to victory should drop out so as not to divide the Republican opposition to Mr. Trump. Former President Trump and his message, his style, his brand have cost us dearly, and he doesn't represent the Republican Party. With an increasingly crowded GOP field, the Republican National Committee just announced stricter rules for candidates to qualify for this year's first debate in August. Among them, at least 40,000 campaign donors, at least 1% support in multiple national polls, and a pledge to support the eventual nominee. Craig. All right, Gabe, thank you. As the race heats up, there are new signs. The investigation into former President Trump's handling of classified documents could be nearing an end. NBC News confirming the former president's lawyer sat down with a special counsel and other Justice Department officials yesterday, a meeting that comes as a grand jury is expected to convene in Florida this week to hear evidence in the case. Let's bring in NBC's senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett. Laura, good morning to you. Good morning. So let's start with with that meeting, DOJ officials meeting with former President Trump's lawyers uh, at the DOJ. How common is a meeting like that? So if you're sitting at home and you keep hearing that this investigation is nearing the end and you're wondering, how do they know that? Why? This is one of the data points. Uh, This is the type of meeting that you see near the very end of investigation when defense attorneys try to go in and make their last pitch for why their client should not be accused of any crimes, why their client did nothing wrong, and why this case should all go away. I've done those meetings before. I've been in that defense chair in my old life. This is very common. You see this all the time. It's what defense attorneys, good defense attorneys, get paid to do. And speaking of the defense, what what is the former president's uh, best defense, as you could see? His best argument is that the White House simply swept all the documents into a box. They made their way down to Florida and that he had nothing to do with it. He never knew anything about it. That's his best defense. That is not the defense that he has been been making, at least publicly so far. Now, the legal defense may shape up in a different way. All along, we've just heard from him, the former president, I can declassify anything I want. I can do anything I want. I can do it by just thinking about it. But that's undercut by the fact that, of course, the documents get down to Mar-a-Lago. They get down to Florida. He's asked repeatedly to return them, and he refuses to do so, even after he received a subpoena. They had to go get a search warrant to return the documents. And so if he had just said all along, sure, you can take the documents right back. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it, I think we might be in a different case. So we're talking about the classified documents case, but to be clear here, there are several other investigations uh, involving the former president right now. Can you bring us up to speed quickly on those? There's a lot swirling and they're all in very different positions. We've already seen the former president indicted in New York. That's a state case. It's a completely unrelated issue having to do with hush money payments. Now we are seeing the special counsel. This is a federal case run out of the Justice Department. This has to do with him retaining the classified documents after He's no longer president. The special counsel is also investigating his role in the January insurrection and his efforts to cling to power, to stay into office. There is also another investigation in Georgia having also to do with his efforts to cling to power, to flip the votes in Georgia. That one is a ways off. Still a long way to go on that one. But this is the federal case in D.C. So there's a lot at play here. Lots of moving parts. Our senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett. Laura, thank you. Laura made it very clear. All right. Thank you, Laura. Let's move now to the search for answers after those terrifying moments in the skies over the East Coast with Air Force fighter jets trying to chase down a runaway unresponsive plane. It eventually crashed in Virginia. It killed all four people on board. And this morning, the NTSB and the FAA investigators have made their way to that very remote and rugged crash scene. NBC's Tom Costello covers aviation as the very latest on this. Hey, Tom. 
Hey, Hoda, yeah, both the NTSB and the FAA say the pilot of that plane failed to respond to air traffic controllers for most of the flight's duration from Tennessee to New York and back again. No one ever radioed a mayday. That has a lot of aviation experts suggesting everybody on board may have been incapacitated, deprived of oxygen, and whatever went wrong, it may have happened very early in the flight. It took nearly four hours for investigators to hike through a dense forest to the charred remains where that private jet went down to Virginia, killing everyone on board. The wreckage is destroyed, meaning that it is no longer distinguishable as an aircraft. However, there are still several pieces that might be able to assist our fact-finding stage. Family members tell NBC News that Adina Azarian, a prominent real estate broker, was on board with her two-year-old daughter, Aria. Azarian's father, John Rumpel, who owns the plane, tells the Washington Post Azarian was a devoted mom who had tried to have a child for years. Rumpel says he and his wife adopted her when she was 40 because she reminded them of their late daughter. Azarian and her daughter were headed from Tennessee to the Hamptons with her nanny and a professional pilot named by Rumpel as Jeff Hefner. Investigators must now unravel the mystery. Did the plane suddenly lose oxygen pressure, quickly incapacitating everyone on board? A similar decompression event and crash killed golfer Payne Stewart and five others in 1999. The NTSB's aviation safety director says that has to be a leading investigative theory. When a person is at uh, ground level, uh, the, the pressure allows them to breathe. Um, the higher you go, the less pressure there is. And so your lungs, without that pressure, you cannot breathe. Lack of oxygen would lead to hypoxia. Symptoms include nausea and headaches, confusion, and difficulty breathing. It may have happened soon after takeoff. Just 15 minutes into flight, the pilot stopped responding to air traffic controllers. The plane continued north all the way to Long Island before doing a U-turn heading back towards Tennessee, still failing to respond to controllers. 611 Victor Golf, contact Washington Center, 127 acknowledge. Six fighter jets were scrambled along the East Coast. As the plane approached restricted D.C. airspace, two F-16s were authorized to go supersonic. The fighter pilots could see the private pilot was slumped over and unresponsive, but they could do nothing but watch as the plane flew south into Virginia, ran out of fuel, and crashed. So, uh, Tom, what could cause that? What could cause a plane to suddenly lose oxygen like that? They're going to look into whether there could have been a structural problem, maybe a, a leak around a door or a window, maybe a, a, some sort of a, a problem with the pressurization system itself. They'll have to look at the records, the maintenance records. Was it recently worked on? In the meantime, the theory about why the plane went all the way to New York and then did a U-turn if the pilot was unresponsive, it's only a theory, but the idea is he pre-programmed autopilot to go to New York then come back to Tennessee. Once the autopilot got to New York, it simply looked for the next waypoint, the next location it was destined to go to, and it picked out Tennessee. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, Tom Costello for us there in D.C. Tom, thank you. Another major story this morning, growing concern about a slowdown at West Coast shipping ports, including some of the nation's largest and most critical shipping distribution centers. NBC national correspondent Miguel Almaguer is at the port of Long Beach. It's near Los Angeles with a closer look and the potential impact all of this could have on Americans from coast to coast. Miguel, good morning to you. 
Craig, good morning. To be clear, a strike here is not underway, but what we're apparently seeing is a worker slowdown. The men and women who unload those shipping containers that allow products that you see on retail stores and grocery stores all across the country have not been showing up for work. As you mentioned, that'll eventually have an impact on folks at home. The question today, will those workers show up? This morning at West Coast Ports, where everyday products arrive and are then shipped across the country, there's growing concern dock workers may not show up to work again, creating a potential supply chain slowdown. Over the last four days, some of the nation's busiest ports have sat idle as the International Longshore and Warehouse Union battles the Pacific Maritime Association over a new contract. As negotiations over pay, benefits, safety, and automation have dragged on for a year, the ILWU says some of its 22,000 rank-and-file members have begun to voice their displeasure by not showing up for work at critical ports. The PMA counters the disruptive work actions effectively shut down operations at some marine terminals. The problems brewing here could eventually impact you at home. This is sort of a slow burn that could get to a boil pretty quickly. The National Retail Federation urging the president to intervene because roughly 40 percent of our nation's imported goods arrive here at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. Our partners at CNBC report it could take weeks to clear the short backlog already created, saying many of the containers delayed now are back to school and holiday products. Because of these slowdowns or dock workers not showing up, that causes delays, delays in getting those goods into stores, and that costs extra money. And at some point, those extra costs could be passed on to consumers. While today's port problems in no way resemble the massive shipping backlog that threatened the national supply chain during COVID, there is growing concern the problem unfolding here could eventually impact your bottom line. This morning, both the White House and the Department of Labor are closely monitoring this situation. Our friends at CNBC tell us, though, major progress has been made during those contract negotiations. But so far this morning, no deal quite yet. Craig. All right. Uh, Miguel, I'm a Air Force there in California. Miguel, thank you. Going to be keeping a close eye on that story. Indeed, indeed. 718, Mr. Roker, you delivered a beautiful day. What have we got cooking? Unfortunately, a little smoky. If you saw your sunrise this morning in the east, reddish skies, well, that's especially here in the east, that's because of pollution out there. Uh, You can see right now we got low pressure up over the uh, the Canadian Maritimes. Not a big deal. Some showers down through the Gulf. Also some wet weather out at, at the west coast. That's because we've got that Omega block. Jetstream looks like the letter Omega in the Greek alphabet. Big ridge of high pressure in the midsection of the country. And what that's doing is trapping a lot of bad air. 73 million people at risk for ozone and Canadian wildfire smoke. That ozone is the combination of sunlight and pollution. It's unhealthy for sensitive groups from Houston, Dallas, all the way to Minneapolis, here in the Northeast, Boston, Buffalo, Washington, all the way to Nashville. And we've got an elevated to critical risk for wildfire danger from Michigan all the way into the mid-Atlantic, wind gusts of 25 miles per hour. Last time Philadelphia was in a critical risk four years ago. So we're going to be watching out for these wildfires. And here's the smoke coming down. There's the smoke forecast coming down all the way into Raleigh, Norfolk, Washington, New York. Look at how dense that smoke is around Buffalo. So unhealthy air also in the Northeast. It's going to take a while to scrub this out of the atmosphere. And that's
That's your latest weather. Guys, All right, Al, thank you. Uh, Still ahead inside an incredibly rare royal appearance this morning. Prince Harry in a London courtroom taking the witness stand in his battle against the British tabloids. We'll be live there with the very latest. Also ahead this morning, Apple's big reveal, its first major product in nearly a decade, the Vision Pro Mixed Reality Headset. We'll have a, a first-hand look at the experience that it's going to offer. Also, the big question this morning, will people dig deep, very deep, to buy one of those things? But first, this is today on NBC. Real deep. Uh-huh. That's the thing. I mean... It's time to breathe easier this allergy season with Breathe Right Nasal Strips. With instant nasal congestion relief for up to 12 hours, you can spend your time on your terms, not on your noses. Stuffy nose from outdoor allergens? No problem. We got you. Allergy season just turned into stripping season. Instant relief from nasal congestion anytime, anywhere. Need more convincing? Click the banner below and get a free sample. Breathe Right. Get your strip on. Use as directed. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh, I love it. Come on, guys. It's 7.30. But we are going to start this half hour with a story that's unfolding in London as we speak. Prince Harry is in court. He's taking on the British tabloids. And he's also making royal history as he takes the stand. NBC's Megan Fitzgerald is right there in London for us. Megan, good morning. Guys, good morning to you. You know, this is truly just an extraordinary event. We have not seen a senior member of the royal family testify in court for more than 130 years. And to just just underscore the rarity of this. When Prince Harry was sworn in this morning, he was referred to as your Royal Highness before cross-examination got underway. This morning, a dramatic day of testimony in a London court. Prince Harry is the first member of the British royal family in 130 years to appear as a witness in court. For the prince, it's personal. He's one of four celebrities taking on Mirror Group newspapers, one of several tabloid media outlets he and his wife, Meghan, accuse of invading their privacy. Harry telling the court, as a child at school, these articles were incredibly invasive. How this material was obtained certainly shocked me. Harry has expressed outrage at growing up in a media spotlight where nothing was sacrosanct or out of bounds, something he spoke about in his Netflix docuseries. The Prince's attorney, David Sherborne, alleging that the intrusion by mirror journalists sowed the seeds of discord between Harry and his brother William and triggered bouts of depression. Sherborne telling the court Harry's mother, Princess Diana, was also a mirror group target alleging her phone had also been hacked in the 90s. 
But legal victory in this case is far from certain for the prince. A mirror group lawyer arguing there is no evidence to support claims that Harry or Diana's phones were hacked. Neither was there evidence to support the extent of the alleged unlawful information gathering. Many royal watchers believe Harry is taking a huge gamble, opening himself up to potentially rigorous cross-examination. But it's a risk he's willing to take on his quest of trying to change the media landscape. Guys, this is just truly unusual. I mean, certainly when you consider the mantra of the royal family, never explain, never complain. Uh, now, as far as the judge and the court is concerned, the judge is saying that uh, Prince Harry, we can expect to testify all throughout today and into tomorrow. Guys. All right, Megan Fitzgerald for us. The Megan, thanks. Uh, let's get some more perspective on the case, Prince Harry's decision to take the stand and the history that surrounds all that. And for that, we welcome an NBC News royal commentator, Daisy McAndrew. Daisy, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, they talked about how it was risky because his cross-examination would be coming and he'd have to face questions. That's happening as we speak. What do you know about what's going on in the courtroom right yeah. now? So we know that Harry and his team have selected 33 tabloid newspaper articles that were printed that they are complaining about that they are alleging were as the result of some sort of illegal activity, hacking or the illegal use of private investigators. They're on, I think, number four or number five of those 33 articles, taking them one by one. Um, the, uh, the, the barrister, the lawyer who is cross-examining Harry at the moment, who's had to ask him to speak a little bit louder, he's commonly known as the beast. So that gives you an, an idea of this is going to be pretty aggressive. Uh, but I think it seems that Harry's really holding up very well. We know that this is a passionate, passionate campaign of his. He believes that the tabloid media took his mother, his mental health, his unborn baby, his family, his friends and his country. This is a mission that he's not going to give up on. He also claims the tabloids put a real wedge between him and his brother. And when you think about it, I mean, a royal has not testified yeah. since the 1800s. So do you think that William and his father Charles might, uh, how will they be seeing this? He, he kind of says he's doing it because of what the tabloids did to them. Yeah. I think, as Meghan was saying, there's a very different attitude between the rest of the royal family and Harry. Harry has taken on this messianic um, attitude towards them. The rest of the royal family, I think, think this is an argument and a fight that he probably shouldn't have picked and may well not win. It's interesting also to think about how this case would differ from an American case. His legal team here in the UK, they are not allowed to coach him. So whatever you've seen in suits where you see witnesses being coached, that is allowed in the States. It's not allowed here. Harry won't even be allowed to see his legal team this evening. So he really is on his own. He's without the support of his family and in some ways without the support of his legal team. I had, I had no idea that's how it went down. Just lastly, when, when will this wrap up? Yeah. When will we have a conclusion? So Harry's bit will wrap up, I think, um, tomorrow afternoon. But the whole case, because there are lots of other people who are also trying to sue the Mirror newspaper. Um, so we're thinking that the case itself could go on for a number of weeks. So, of course, we're going to have to wait until the whole case is wrapped up before we know if Harry's uh, going to win or lose. My personal feeling is so far 
the opposite, the team that are cross-examining him are making quite a good argument that nearly all these articles could have come from other means, could have come from him being spotted in the road when he was at a 16th uh, birthday party in a pub, could have come from people at his school when they were... Uh, articles got out about his broken thumb and in fact a number of the articles had already appeared in other newspapers so at the moment it's early days but I think he's looking a bit shaky okay all right Daisy McAndrew Hi. Daisy thank you that's so interesting the about differences how, between how well, just the idea that he couldn't be coached by his yeah. attorneys yeah. and didn't even meet them I yeah. mean that's so interesting didn't know that Right. Uh, just ahead back here on this side of the pond, we are technically, no, it's not. We're going to go live to Normandy with some of the brave heroes of D-Day who have returned this morning to mark 79 years since that historic evasion, their emotional reunion, and the former NFL star who helped make it possible. But first, an in-depth look at Apple's flashy new product launch. It's called a Vision Pro. So how could this headset change the game for the world of virtual reality and the reaction, guys, to its eye-popping price tag right after this? Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. We're back, 741 with In-Depth today. This morning, a major reveal from Apple. It's nearly a decade in the making. Yes, from the iPod and iPhone to the MacBook, the tech giant has introduced us to products that have changed our life in their newest and augmented reality headset, which aims to change how we all interact. Mm -hmm. uh, NBC's Jake Ward was at that long-awaited launch. Jake, good to see you. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, guys. Yeah, you know, this high-tech headset looks like a pair of high-tech ski goggles, and you uh, control the interface using your hands, your eyes, your voice. But with a $3,500 price tag, many are wondering who is going to buy these when they become available next year. Apple CEO Tim Cook unveiling what the company calls the future of mixed reality and what it hopes will be its next revolutionary product, the Apple Vision Pro headset. Apple's first new product category in years, retailing for $3,500 and available early next year. It's able to switch between augmented and full virtual reality with a dial. Apple saying it seamlessly blends the real and digital world. A lofty vision with a steep price tag from the company that's changed how we communicate. But what we're going to do is get rid of all these buttons and just make a giant screen. How we work, use social media, and listen to music. But if products like the iPod and iPhone were designed to be universal, some are asking, who are these new VR headsets actually for? Is it the new iPhone? Oh boy, that's a tough question. That's a, a no. Is everyone going to have one of these headsets in the next five years? 
I don't think so. The market for augmented reality headsets is still small. Fewer than 9 million headsets were sold by any company last year. But the competition is fierce, with tech companies betting big on virtual reality. Like Meta, whose founder Mark Zuckerberg renamed his company in honor of virtual reality, announcing the latest version of its headset just days earlier. Most people will not have the chance to try this technology anytime soon, but those who have say it could be a game changer eventually. What was really surprising to me was how easy it was to use. The idea that you could put this on in your your airplane seat and watch on your $3,500 face computer. Sure, maybe one day. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's obviously cool. It's mm-hmm. fascinating. But $3,500, that's a whole heck of a lot of money. Why is Apple gambling on a product that, that there isn't a clear market for yet? Well, Craig, it's a great question. I think you have to look at it from Apple's perspective, because on, on the one hand, you think, you know, why would they expect anybody to spend 3500 bucks on a thing that supposedly lasts two hours between charges and the use case isn't really clear? Well, you know, Apple is trying to recreate the past success it had with something like the iPhone by looking to the future. They are looking for a device that is going to be just as transformative as the iPhone was. You have to remember, right, when that thing came onto the market, it launched a thousand industries. It upended all sorts of businesses businesses. And so they're looking for a big hit like that. And in this case, it's also important to know, right, the more that you can, as a company, convince us to strap into an experience like this, the more you can understand about our behavior and get all sorts of information about our habits, what we like and don't like, and then make money off of those insights. That is the opportunity that you're seeing in this world for these companies, and that's why they're going at it so hard, you guys. Oh, there's always a twist. It just went from G whiz to uh. <laughs> uh, Thank you, Jake. Thanks, Jake. You know who might get one of those? Uh, Al. Oh, yeah. Al, you do get always, one. always front center. Uh, you so he would. He's Maybe so I'll wait for the next one. But who knows? Who, who knows? knows? Who knows? Oh my gosh, you look so real. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I could touch you. Please don't. Oh my god. Oh, sh- oh, I'm sorry. Uh, let's show you what's going on outside right now. Okay, so it's been warm. So here's a little game for you guys. Who's had more 90 degrees uh, t- days? The Minneapolis or, or Atlanta? Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Bing, Bing, Bing. You are correct. Oh, Five days right. of course, uh, as opposed to Atlanta's one. Okay, Albuquerque versus Chicago. Who's had the more 90 degree day. I'm going to go Albuquerque. Chicago. Albuquerque. Chicago. Chicago. Correct, Greg. Oh. Four days. All right. Nice. And one last one. Thank you, audio. Uh, Oklahoma City versus New York. I think you're trying to trick us. I I'm going to go Oklahoma City. Me too. Okay, see. I'll take New York. All right, Craig, once oh, again. Sweet. Boom. Bing, bang, boom. All right, there you go. Today. Also, by the way, hurricane season, of course, kicking off January 1st. The National uh, uh, Hurricane Center putting out their forecast. Well, the European model folks have put out their forecast. They're going more aggressive. They're saying 17 name storms as opposed to 12, 17. Uh, hurricanes, nine. They're going to the upper level of that to the upper ends. What are they see they're going with the near record warm waters off the Atlantic between there uh, off the African coast whereas the American model sees the El Nino increasing upper level winds that tear storms apart so they see fewer storms who's going to be right well time will tell but we're going to keep an eye on this very carefully and that is your latest weather guys thank you you're going to have some strong opinions on a story that's coming up Mr. Roker there's this new list and it is sparking some heated conversations among movie fans Mm. Which stars pulled off the best superhero performances of all time? Carson's going to have that for us in Popstar. Coming up after these messages. (laughs) 
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.